Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our ascended and ever-reigning Savior, Jesus Christ. Isaiah was God's messenger to the people about a hundred years before the Babylonian captivity, before Babylon conquered Israel and took them away. Now, God's word makes it very clear why the Babylonian captivity happened. Even though God had made these people his own and had promised to bless them, they would not listen to him and they would not follow him. In the chapter just before our sermon reading, in chapter 42 of Isaiah, it says, They would not follow the Lord's ways. They did not obey his law. So he poured out on them his burning anger, the violence of war. It enveloped them in flames, yet they did not understand. It consumed them, but they did not take it to heart. The prophet never saw Israel conquered by Babylon and taken away with his own eyes. He only saw it in visions. But he told the people what was coming and why. That was part of his job, to rebuke the people for worshiping false gods and for deliberately living in sin. But not everyone in the nation of Israel had abandoned God. There were still faithful followers of the Lord. And for them, God had a message of comfort. In fact, Isaiah's words of comfort were for the unbelievers too, because there was still time. God was calling them to repent, to turn away from their sins, and to trust in the Savior that he had promised to send. Immediately after the rebuke section that I just read from Isaiah, Isaiah says these words. This is the beginning of chapter 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear. For I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Though you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. It's remarkable that first God rebukes strongly, and then immediately after, he comforts. First, God speaks those words of judgment. He says, your unbelief and your sin have brought punishment upon you. You will be conquered. But then immediately after that, he comforts. He says, I have redeemed you. Don't be afraid. I will bring you back to your homeland. The contrast between these two is very sharp. It's like law and gospel. Your sins have brought you death, but the Lord will rescue you and bring you life. And there's nothing between these two statements. No reason that God should change his mind like this. Israel's rescue is purely because God is 
gracious and faithful to his promises. He promised the world of sinners that he would send a savior from them and that that savior would come from the nation of Israel. And so that would happen. And he still loves his wayward people. He longs for their hearts to turn back to him while there is still time. And so after 70 years of Babylonian captivity, the Lord would give the Persians victory over Babylon, and a Persian ruler would send the Israelites back to their home. And God would even tell Isaiah what the name of this unborn Persian ruler would be, that his name would be Cyrus. So God predicted both the Babylonian captivity and the rescue, the return to the promised land. Now, the reason I'm telling you all these things right away is because I think these things are going to help us to understand what God says in our sermon reading for today. There, God speaks to Israel, unworthy but chosen Israel. Israel who had been blessed with God's word as its caretaker, but who in many ways was ignorant of God's word. And yet in our sermon reading, God speaks to Israel, and amazingly, he tells them, you are my witnesses. We read from Isaiah 43, verses 8 through 13. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf, I'm going to pause a few times during the reading here to explain just a few things. Here he's talking about the Israelites. They are the blind and deaf ones. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right so that others may hear and say, it is true. Here, I think God is referring to the Babylonian captivity and all of the other events that came before that God had predicted and then accomplished. Now he turns back to the Israelites and says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I, and not some foreign God among you. Here God lays out the pattern that he uses over and over to show that he is at work Ahead of time, he tells them what he's going to do, and then he rescues, he saves, he does what he said he was going to, and then he draws attention to it. He reveals, he saves, and he proclaims. In verse 12, God continues to speak to Israel, saying, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. 
no one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? This is our reading for today. May the Holy Spirit bless our study of it. Amen. Doesn't God's word sound a little strange at this part? First, in that very first reading, he, or first verse, he says to the Israelites that they are blind and deaf. And yet then, in verse 10, he says, you are my witnesses. You are the servant that I have chosen. Why has he chosen spiritually blind and deaf people to be his witnesses? I would say it's because he wants to heal them. He wants to take them as his own so that they will begin to understand who he is. He wants to soften their sin-hardened hearts so that they will trust that the Lord is their maker and their redeemer. We see the same thing happening in the New Testament, don't we, with the Apostle Paul. He was God's enemy, hunting down Christians, having them thrown in prison, sometimes voting that they would be executed. And yet, Jesus chose Paul. He said, I'm going to take this hate-filled enemy of mine and I'm going to show him my love. And when his heart is changed, then he's going to run in my ways. And he's going to tell people that their sins are forgiven because of my sacrifice. He will speak to kings and rulers in my name in many lands. When we think of Paul, I think we think God chose him so that many people would come to faith through his ministry, right? But first of all, Jesus chose Paul to save Paul. And this is the same reason that he chose the people of Israel, because he loved those sinners. And this is the same reason that he calls us, too, because he loves us sinners, and he wants us to trust in him and receive full forgiveness for all our sins and eternal life with him. Secondarily, God chose the Israelite people to be his witnesses so they could tell the other, other people the truth. In the first part of our sermon reading, Isaiah paints a picture of the Israelite people and all the Gentile nations being gathered into one place in kind of a courtroom setting. And then God says to them, he says, okay, all you nations of the Gentiles, all you idol-worshiping nations, bring forward your witnesses. Which one of these idols predicted that the flood would happen? and that I would save Noah and his family with that boat. Prove it with your witnesses. Which of these idols that you worship foretold the Egyptian slavery of the Israelites and their rescue by Moses? Bring forth your witnesses. Which of your gods foretold this and which of them did it? And what about Babylon that I've just mentioned? Which, would you like to add some details about what's going to happen in the future with that? Bring forth your witnesses from your gods. Testify to your wisdom. Testify to your power, O oh, idols. 
But all the nations of the world and their idols couldn't say a thing about the future. And they hadn't predicted the events that had happened in the past. They hadn't predicted or accomplished these things. God had done this. The Lord had done this. And the Israelites, though blind and deaf in so many ways, they knew these things. They had the word of God that preserved how God had interacted with the human race. They could turn to the passage and show you this is where God predicted what was going to happen in Egypt and the rescue. And then they could turn and they could show you this is, this is the record of how that saving happened. This happened in the Old Testament over and over where God called his shots and then saved the people and then drew their attention to it. He would proclaim what he had done and have the prophets write it down so that it would be preserved forever so that people could always look back and see this is what God did. See, God doesn't want, though, he doesn't just want his exploits to be written down in a book. What he really wants is for those things to be written in the hearts of people like you and me. And that's why he told Israel, you are my witnesses. You know what I've done. So tell people. I want to take us back to verse 10 here for just a moment. There's something important there that I think is going to help us understand what God wants for us. Not what he wants from us, what he wants for us. In verse 10, it says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Is that last part of the verse I want to focus on. So that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. In English, these words are synonyms. They mean the same thing. But I don't think that God is just emphasizing what he's saying by repeating himself here. Because when you look at the Hebrew words, they mean a little bit different things, each one of them. To know something in the Hebrew means to have knowledge of facts. Okay? Little bits of information. To believe means to trust in someone or something. And then to understand means to comprehend that information and be able to use it wisely to make your decisions. God makes us witnesses of his so that we'll know the facts and by faith we'll be able to live wisely guided by those facts. That last part, I think, is the most important part. Knowledge is having all sorts of bits of wisdom, right? We can gather up little bits of, of facts, but all that won't matter if we can't take those things and use them, put them into practice in our lives. So this is what God wants for us. Let's look at some of the facts in our sermon reading and see how this works. In verse 10, God says, 
Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. Okay, I'm going to read that again. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. So there's the knowledge. But by faith in those words, we gain the wisdom. If the Lord is the only God who has ever been or will ever be, then he's the source of all wisdom and goodness and strength. And he's the one we need to go to when we need those things. See, collecting the facts isn't enough. You need to know what those facts mean. God would teach us how to live according to those facts. In verse 11, God says, I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. Again, I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. So there's the knowledge. Through faith in those words, we gain wisdom. If the Lord is the only Savior, then I'm going to go to him for rescue every time. And if someone else tries to take credit for the saving that only he can do, I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to accept the idea that I can do part of the saving of my own soul. I'm not going to accept that Mary did part of the work to save me. No. God is my Savior. His Son is the one who accomplished it on that cross. That is where my hope rests. In verse 12, God says, I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I and not some foreign God among you. Again, I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I and not some foreign God among you. Again, there's the knowledge. So where's the wisdom? Well, again, this is that pattern that God uses to prove I'm God. I'm going to predict the future, and then I'm going to come and I'm going to save, and then I'm going to draw your attention to it. And we've already talked about how he did that numerous times in the Old Testament. But we didn't talk about the greatest revelation, the greatest foretelling that he made. When God said to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. We know that oldest of prophecies from Genesis 3.15, the words that God spoke to Satan in the garden. On the cross, Jesus died for the sins of the world. He died, but he rose three days later. His heel was only bruised by the serpent. But the punishment for mankind's sins was paid for in full. And so the serpent's power over man was shattered forever. His head was crushed. From the very beginning, God has been using this pattern of proof, calling his shot, doing the saving, and then drawing our attention to his grace. And lastly, in our text, God says, No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? That's the knowledge. Through faith, we gain the wisdom. If you can't undo what God has done, that's great news for those who trust in Christ. For the salvation that was won on the cross cannot be unraveled by Satan. 
He can't win. Our sins stand forgiven for all time because of Christ's cross. And therefore, that's where we need to go with our sin and with our guilt and with the heaviness that we carry to the cross that cannot be changed. Now we can live without fear. Now we can live without guilt. Because every time we feel those things, we can bring them to the cross. And we can live in joy, praising the Lord for his great salvation throughout our lives. This is the wisdom that God wants us to have. The Lord told ancient Israel, you are my witnesses. Whether they would speak up or not, God had chosen them as his witnesses for their good and for the salvation of others. And through faith in Christ, the same is true about you. You have been made God's witnesses. But listen to what it says in Romans 9 and Galatians 3. Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. It is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. God says to you Christians, you are my Israel. You are my witnesses. You know the Messiah by faith and you have God's whole word. So let's be his witnesses. Trusting in Christ for forgiveness every time and living powerfully, not just knowing the facts, but learning how to live in step with God in all things. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all things, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.